0: You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Do you have a child who speaks two languages or more? I've had friends who live in a bilingual household and my friend in particular was worried that because they were learning a second language, it might slow down their children's speech development and later perhaps their reading and writing. This apparently is a myth that many people believe, that speaking two languages can slow a child down. The most recent census found that around one-fifth of Australians speak a language other than English at home, so chances are there are more than a few families dealing with this concern. Dr. Mark Antonio is a Senior Research Fellow for the Marx Institute for Brain, Behaviour and Development at Western Sydney University, and he joins us on the line to explain. Hi Mark, how are you?
1: Good, thank you. Pleasure to be with you.
0: So this idea that bilingualism in children causes learning delays in younger children, is that a myth?
1: It absolutely is a myth. It's quite a persistent myth. Um, It can be useful to understand where these myths originate from. Uh, They come from studies that were conducted largely during the First and Second World Wars. These were serious scientific studies by serious scientists published in prestigious journals. Um, So they were believed at the time. But the problem uh, is that because of the time frame when these studies were conducted, there were a number of Experimental and methodological problems, things that we researchers call confounds. So these are things that are occurring that are really responsible for the pattern of results that are observed and not necessarily the thing that the original authors interpreted as causing the problem. In this particular case, bilingualism. If we think about children during the First and Second World Wars, They're coming from war-torn countries, they're arriving in most cases in the U.S., they're being tested in English, and they might not have knowledge, even functional knowledge of English, and lo and behold, a lot of them scored poorly. And the conclusion that those researchers reached was that the reason that they performed poorly on those uh, cognitive tests was because they knew more than one language. So I think that you can see what the problems might be with drawing a conclusion like that.
0: So what do we know today? Have there been further studies done since then?
1: Absolutely. It really wasn't until the 1960s when a very important study was conducted that looked at verbal and nonverbal abilities of children that spoke multiple languages. And they found to their surprise that not only did these children have some uh, non-verbal advantages, but also they had some verbal advantages. And this really changed the way that scientists thought about bilingualism. And 50 or 60 years of research since then has shown those authors to be correct. So there's a very large literature that has shown time and time again that bilingualism not only doesn't cause developmental delays or language disorders, but it actually has numerous benefits.
0: So is that another misconception around bilingualism, that not just that it would delay a child, but it might actually make them, uh, give them trouble speaking or give them speech impediments?
1: Uh, Yeah. So we see remnants of that to this very day where some speech-language pathologists, because they're not up to date with the latest developments on this particular research issue, um, because in Australia, treating bilingual children, as you state, they tend to be a minority of cases that um, certain uh, practitioners would see. They might not have the up-to-date information um, that I've been sharing with you today. So parents might receive advice saying that they should simplify a child's language environment. What that usually means is not speaking the language other than English so that the child can focus all of their attention on on the English and what usually happens is they, they lose the other language. But there's a lot of good work being done all around the world that shows that that's not necessary and perhaps not even the optimal way of doing things.
0: Can children confuse two languages? Because I know as an adult, when I I lived in a a Spanish-speaking country for a while, and sometimes words would get mixed up in my head because I was learning the language myself. Does that happen in young children as well?
1: Children make mistakes whether they're learning one language or multiple languages. But it's not true. So this is another myth that a child being raised with multiple languages, let's say a bilingual child, they are not going to confuse the two languages. There's a little bit of controversy in the research literature concerning when the languages first become separated. So it was long thought that the two languages are fused initially and then they separate as the child uh, grows. But we have uh, r- more recent findings that suggest that even infants that are pre-verbal and only babbling, babble in a particular, uh, using particular sounds, let's say if the father uses a particular language, and then babbles using different sounds if the mother uses a different language, which suggests that the child is quite a sophisticated babbler and is able to know that. particular set of language features are used with one parent and a different set of features are used with another parent, which suggests that they're not really confused at all.
0: That is fascinating. I love the idea of bilingual babbling. I think we Mm. could start a whole new thing on that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Antonio about bilingualism in children and dispelling some of the myths that surround bilingualism Are you able to tell us, Mark, what is actually happening in the brain of a child when they're learning two languages or being immersed in two languages um, in the early stages of their development?
1: Well, if it's a child that's being um, immersed or bombarded with two language systems, there's a lot going on, and the task facing that child will necessarily be more difficult than a child learning a single language. Not only do they need to learn one set of sounds, um, they need to learn a second set of sounds, they also need to learn two sets of vocabulary, two sets of grammatical rules, and so forth. They also need to learn that there are certain equivalencies. So a child learning, let's say, Mandarin, Chinese, and English will learn words in each language that mean the same thing. So, for instance, the word chair and the Chinese word for chair. So they need to be able to equate or do some sort of mental gymnastics that allows them to, I guess, internally be aware that this particular meaning is attached to these two language-specific labels. So it's very, very demanding on a child cognitively. And they do it with relatively little input, So the input that a bilingual child receives is the same input that a child being raised in in a solely English-speaking home would receive as well. So necessarily, they're going to be receiving relatively less input in each of the languages. After all, there are only so many hours in a day. So the fact that they're able to acquire these languages relatively successfully really speaks to the flexibility of They're tiny little brains. They're very powerful, much more powerful than we give them credit for.
0: Mark, can you um, maybe explain a bit more about what you mean by input? So are you talking about the words that a mum or a dad might say to a child in a day and that they're just taking in a normal amount of language regardless of whether it's two languages or one?
1: Exactly. So it's the, the language exposure that the child receives. This can be... Usually the primary caregiver would be the mother, but not always. So it's the mother talking to the child, other family members talking to the child, and the family members talking to each other around the child. So without you realizing it, very young infants are paying attention, they're looking at your mouth, they're making associations, and then when we talk to infants, we talk to them in a very particular way, a type of baby talk. and the infant reacts to the way that we're talking to them by smiling or giggling and that encourages us to do more. So. Researchers that study babies say that the, the baby is the one that's in control. They've, they've got us wrapped, <laughs> wrapped around their fingers.
0: I believe and, that. And
1: there's good work showing that the way that we talk to infants by exaggerating our sounds, saying things like, what a beautiful baby. We, we sort of stretch out our sounds and make them more exaggerated. That actually benefits and boosts their development. So if that's happening in multiple languages at the same time, they, they're getting that boost in the first language and also in the second language.
0: I often look at my children and think they're like sponges. The things they remember, the words to songs, that sort of thing always surprises me. Does it work the same way with language? Is it easier for young children and toddlers to absorb foreign languages than it is as we get older?
1: It definitely is different. I don't know about easier... But there's something very special about the learning that happens in those early years. And there has been recent research, and, and work done over the years, but very recent research done with adoptees, uh, in this particular case from Korea, who were adopted into uh, families that didn't have any knowledge of Korean at, at a very early age. So these, um, this was in either France or another set in, in Holland, and they grew up effectively as native uh, Dutch speakers. So they could speak Dutch very well. They were in Dutch families. They couldn't remember Korean. But when, when you get those individuals and you test them in a, in a laboratory with very sensitive tests, it shows that there are remnants there from that very, very early exposure. It's persistent. And they, they're not like normal dutch speakers who don't have that input so they've been changed by they've been touched by that very early language experience in a way that wouldn't happen if you were let's say acquiring a language in adulthood it's still possible but it's not the same it's not the same uh it doesn't have the same consequences for your for your brain.
0: It's so fascinating. Look, before we let you go, do you have any tips for parents if they're wanting to support their child's bilingual development?
1: Sure. So I guess the first thing is to try and be as encouraging and as patient as you can, because as I said, a bilingual child is learning two languages, so it's a tougher task. Um, it's very important that the languages are used for a functional purpose. So if you have relatives, grandparents, uh, play groups, social interactions, you're going to have a lot more success than if you're just learning, let's say, using a book. Um, I know that a lot of parents worry about the issue of balance between languages, so whether one language is going to be stronger than another. That's a bit of a misnomer. So even the most fluent bilinguals will have a dominant language. So don't get too hung up. Don't stress about whether your child is equivalent in both languages. Um, Touching on what we said earlier, don't worry if it appears that that the children are mixing their languages. This is actually a sign of bilingual proficiency, that they're able to manipulate the two languages and use them together. So this is not a problem at all. And I guess finally, although we began the discussion by saying that bilingualism doesn't lead to impairments, just like any child, a child who speaks two languages can actually have a speech problem or a developmental problem. So if you do feel that there's something not quite right, see your GP, see a health professional or a speech pathologist, but it doesn't mean that it's the bilingualism per se that is the cause. So that child would probably have had an issue whether they were learning one language or 10 languages.
0: Mark, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fascinating
1: pleasure. Thank you.
0: That was Dr. Mark Antonio from the Mark's Institute for Brain Behaviour and Development at Western Sydney University. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.